progressive, respectful, mentoring, compassionate. These are the values of Palmdale Regional Medical Center. And now we proudly present Palmdale Regional Radio. Here's Melanie Cole. Many people are confused when it comes to the differences between inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's disease, and ulcerative colitis. Here to clear up some of that confusion is Dr. Jay Pruthi. He's a gastroenterologist and a member of the medical staff at Palmdale Regional Medical Center. Welcome to the show, Dr. Pruthi. Please explain a little bit about what inflammatory bowel disease is and how Crohn's and ulcerative colitis sort of fit under this umbrella term. Thank you, Melanie, for inviting me to the show. It's always a pleasure. Today, we're going to talk about um, inflammatory bowel disease. It means, as the, the term uh, conveys, the bowel is inflamed. There's an inflammation in the GI tract system. Now, it can happen from anywhere, from mouth to anus, from small ulcers in the mouth, inflammation in the esophagus, stomach, small intestine, and colon or even fistulas in the anal area. And we can differentiate between these uh, areas. And if the inflammation is prominently in the colon and the characters of inflammation are different, then we classify this as ulcerative colitis. But if the inflammation is all over or in one segment of the small intestine and it is full thickness inflammation, the characteristics are different, then we classify it as a Crohn's disease. But some patients may fall in between these two categories and it can be indeterminate or, you know, uh, colitis or indeterminate inflammatory bowel disease that has not yet been classified. And as the disease progresses, it may manifest either Crohn's or ulcerative colitis. So it's a, it's a very disabling disease process where the intestinal system is inflamed and people have a lot of symptoms. Are these considered autoimmune diseases, and do we know what causes them? Is there a genetic component to these? Tell us a little bit about the cause of these. The cause is currently unknown. There is definitely a genetic component. You know, if 10 to 20% patients of uh, Crohn's disease, oral cellulitis, they have at least a family member or a blood relative with inflammatory bowel disease. So there is a definitely a genetic component. Some genes have been identified, like NOD, NOD2 genes, and other genes. Um, and these are considered as in autoimmune processes, where body's immune system sort of um, attacks the intestinal lining and the wall, and uh, inflammation sets in. The white blood cells move in to the intestinal lining and uh, cause uh, the inflammation and ulceration formation and various other abnormalities. So the current cause is unknown. So are there some symptoms as Crohn's disease can even start in children or teenagers or people in their 20s? And if there's this genetic component, what do you want people to watch out for or to be on the lookout, Dr. Pruthi? What red flags in symptoms would show up that would say, you know what, you need to get to a GI and find out if this is Crohn's? Yes, there are symptoms which will um, you know, indicate that suggest that patient may be suffering from inflammatory bowel disease. Um, and it can happen in the age groups from you know, young adults, adolescents and young adults and children. And then later on, um, in the 50s to 70s. So there are two peaks, uh, you know, the 
distribution. Um, one is early um, adolescence, 15 to 30 years of age. Then the other peak of uh, you know incidence of you know, inflammatory bowel disease comes at age uh, 50 to 70 to 75. You know? Now the symptoms are non-specific. People may come with abdominal pain, chronic diarrhea. In particular, in children, there will be delayed development or stunted growth, and uh, they may have fever, uh, rectal bleeding, blood in the stool, weight loss, and sometimes they may have feeling of fullness and a mass in the lower abdomen. These are the intestinal uh, symptoms, but you know this is an inflammatory process, and it affects the rest of the body also. So some people may develop arthritis, joint pain. They can have inflammation in the eye or mouth. They can develop kidney stones. They can develop abdominal pain from gallbladder stones. They can have inflammation in the liver, leading to liver test abnormalities, or they can develop skin rash or skin ulcers even. So if you have you know, these symptoms, um, obviously don't delay. Go to the doctor because you know, the data shows that you know, the delay in the diagnosis for Crohn's disease is at, at least one year from the time of onset of symptoms. Because symptoms are nonspecific. You know, people uh, tend to take some various things and you know, try to delay. But the m- more delay we have in making a diagnosis, the r- more risk we run for getting into complications. So if you have any symptoms, just go for it. See your doctor and determine whether this is uh, inflammatory bowel disease or something else going on. Because you know, a lot of people have irritable bowel syndrome also. They will have diarrhea, abdominal pain too but they will not have rectal bleeding generally. They will not lose weight. Uh, that diarrhea in inflammatory bowel disease is different. It can have you know, uh, blood in it, and it may wake you up during the night. It may wake you up during your sleep so that you, you know, if it's a real inflammation going on. But on the other hand, in irritable bowel syndrome, when there is no significant inflammation, there is no inflammatory bowel disease, no Crohn's disease, no ulcerative colitis, that diarrhea is only daytime and does not wake you up at nighttime. People do not lose weight. It does not cause any fever. It does not cause severe sickness. So if the diarrhea is not going away, you're having bleeding, you're losing weight, you should go to the doctor. So since we know that there's no write-out cure for these, let's talk about the medical treatment and what those goals would be to achieve remission or maintain remission or improve the quality of life, because the quality of life, Dr. Pruthi, is so important for these types of patients, what they can eat, where they can go out to eat, all kinds of, you know, aspects of that quality of life come into play here. So speak about intervention, medications for treatments, and what you do for these people to help increase their quality of life. Sure. The treatment goals for um, inflammatory bowel disease Number one, we want to reduce the inflammation in the intestinal system. Then, number two, we want to control the signs and symptoms. We want to control the pain. We want to control the diarrhea, and we want to stop the bleeding. Then, number three, we want to correct the nutritional deficiencies. You know, people who have inflammation in their digestive system, they may develop nutritional deficiency. They may not absorb certain nutrients very well, and then you know, that causes another problem. Then number four, we want to normalize their life 
as much as possible. We want them to get back to the work and not, you know, get disabled from it. Now, these goals, um, we try to make all these uh, goals for everybody. How do we do it? First thing is to make a correct diagnosis. So we want to have a correct diagnosis, whether it is Crohn's or ulcerative colitis or indeterminate or whatever this is going on, if there's any superimposed infection there. So to make a diagnosis, we do endoscopy, take biopsies, look at the inflammatory pattern of the intestinal system and do some blood tests. Um, if the need be, we do CT scan or X-rays or MRIs to look at the intestinal system and categorize the patient, establish a definitive diagnosis. Then we offer the treatment, medications. Um, certain categories of medications um, to begin with, Sulfasalazine is a very common drug that we use. Then uh, another derivative of sulfasalazine is five ASA compounds called mesalamine. Then we can use those suppositories. These are the simple anti-inflammatory medications which work in a topical manner. Like, you know, it's a fire retardant. We spray the fire retardant on the inflamed colon and uh, control the inflammation. Many patients, it works good. Then if that doesn't help, the next category we go to are the steroids, corticosteroids, prednisone, or IV uh, solumedrol, or IV prednisone. So that will control the inflammation and control and modify the immune system so that, you know, the immune system is not attacking the intestinal system. But there are side effects for, for the corticosteroids. So we that's why we don't want to contain the corticosteroids for a long time. My goal generally is to, if I want to use corticosteroids in a patient, we want to use it for a limited period of time and in tapering doses that we can get them off of steroids and control the disease process with another medication. Then the third category of medications are immunomodulators, which will modify the immune system so that immune system is not attacking the intestinal lining. So those are azathioprines, mercaptopurine, uh, methotrexate, etc. Then the newer drugs are biological drugs, which are anti-inflammatory, and they are called as anti-TNF-alpha, anti-tumor necrosis factor medications, like infliximab, adalubimab, pamicade, humira, their trade names, and then... Um, uh, newer ones are alpha-4 integrin inhibitors like Antivio or Vidolizumab, then uh, interleukin-12, interleukin-23 inhibitors called Stellara or um, Usteki-Nu-Mab. So these are the new medications which uh, modify the disease process and modify the immune system so that you know we can control inflammation better. Then um, finally, we have antibiotics that we use sometimes, ciprofloxacin, uh, flagell, you know, metronidazole, tetramethylcycline, sulfur medications. So we we can use all these medications either in you know by itself or in various combinations to control the disease process and bring the patients back to normal life as much as possible. Then Melanie talked about the nutrition. It's very important. We want to check their um, uh, you know levels of nutrients. Particularly, we want to. Uh, make sure they have enough calcium in their system, folate, uh, B12, vitamin D. So those supplements are important in this uh, patient population. Then um, uh, she mentioned diet. Diet is very important too. Now, there is not a particular diet that everybody can you know, just go for it. 
So I recommend let's keep the food diary and see which diet, uh, which items suit you and which don't, and then modify the diet accordingly. And stop smoking and avoid alcohol and take small frequent meals and keep regular exercise and a good lifestyle. Does stress play a role as a trigger, Dr. Pruthi, in, in Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis? Very good question, Melanie. Stress can do a number on us. Per se, stress is not going to cause inflammatory bowel disease, but it can make the matter worse. It can make the symptoms worse. You know, It becomes a vicious cycle. When you have inflammatory bowel disease, you are stressed out, and the stress makes the symptoms worse. So you've got to get out of that vicious cycle um, by you know seeing the, your physician, controlling the disease process better, and you know, relaxing, and if the need be, take some uh, medication. So wrap it up for us, please, Dr. Pruthi, with your best advice about how patients that suffer from Crohn's disease, inflammatory bowel disease, ulcerative colitis, any of these autoimmune disorders, what you would like them to know about treatments out there and living a normal life with these diseases and and how they can live a normal life with some of the latest treatments. Yes. um, Inflammatory bowel disease, to summarize, is inflammation of the intestinal system. It can happen anywhere from mouth to anus. Symptoms are initially nonspecific, but I would recommend do not ignore the symptoms. Abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, weight loss, diarrhea, rectal bleeding, arthritis, skin rash. Just go to the physician early. Get Make the diagnosis. Get the established correct diagnosis. And then start the treatment early so that we can prevent the complication. Then uh, follow the life, good lifestyle. And if patients you know, have long-term disease process, you know, after 10 years of colitis, then we are worried about colon cancer because after 8 to 10 years of ulcerative colitis, the risk for colon cancer goes very high too. So in those patients, we recommend they have a screening colonoscopy every two years and take random biopsies from every 10 centimeter interval in the colon to check for any early signs of cancer. And after 15 years of uh, uh, chronic uh, colitis, then colonoscopy every year. And um, just have... um, you know, uh, be compliant with the medication. Be a part, become a partner in your disease process and treatment process. Understand the disease process and be sure to take your medication on time and follow the recommendations. It's great information. Thank you so much, Dr. Pruthi. It's always such a pleasure to have you on the show. You're listening to Palmdale Regional Radio with Palmdale Regional Medical Center. For more information, please visit palmdaleregional.com. Physicians are independent practitioners who are not employees or agents of Palmdale Regional Medical Center. The hospital shall not be liable for actions or treatments provided by physicians. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.